Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And as always, joining me here this morning is Adam Keys. Adam, are you ready? I'm ready, Farhan. Okie dokie. So, should we continue with the current starting lineup? No. Does Martinelli need to be dropped for the United game? No. And did Arsenal deserve all three points against Fulham? No. Okay, unlike last week, this week we've got three no's, so good stuff. Um, Adam, how are you feeling after that draw? Yeah, pretty down. It's I've just said before we started recording... It, it's really crazy how a result affects your mood. So I, I was at Leeds Fest on Saturday and I was streaming the match in the middle of a festival. I went from kind of through the full range of emotions, but you're also in, in the middle of a festival with like a hundred plus thousand people. And um, then I thought, right, job done, two, one, see it out now. And then of course, Arsenal have to just ruin my mood, which just, then my wife doesn't understand why I'm in such a bad mood. And <laughs> it's just, it is crazy. It really is. It's yeah. its one of those. And I think, I mean, Arteta said we deserve to win the game. You don't deserve to win a game of football when you concede two stupid goals the way we did. And its mm. it was literally our own doing that cost us that game. And we had to work so hard to come back into it. And we just threw it away at the end. And that that's really concerning for me. Yeah, I mean, a lot has been said about the starting lineup, and I and I imagine this podcast, the majority of the conversation will be about the tactical tinkering of Arteta, where certain individuals are played best, what this uh, game, I guess, demonstrated in terms of the starting lineup and the effects that it has on the overall ninety minutes. Um, but yeah, it is incredibly frustrating, and 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 actually, you know. To hear those comments from Arteta is a tad bit worrying because unlike last season where any points dropped was a really big downer, it was always a very negative thing. It was always a case of we weren't good enough, we need to be a little bit better, we need to be a little bit more clinical, we need to cut out the mistakes. This time round, it's well actually if you compare the two games, we were a lot better against Fulham this season than we were last season. Now that might be the case, but ultimately we dropped two points at home and... um you know, in quite extraordinary fashion by conceding very, very, very early on. So, uh, you know, having said that, let's delve straight into the starting lineup. And, you know, I guess we're going to spend a bit of time on this section. So talk to me about it. Give me your thoughts. I'm eager to hear how you're feeling um, about this whole narrative surrounding the starting lineup. I didn't like it. The minute I saw the team sheet, it was one of those I thought, I just don't like this team. I thought it was very harsh on Ankeria to drop him. I thought this would have been a good game for him. They've got Bassi at the back, who's big, quick centre-back. 
And I thought Enkeli is the kind of player that I want that's going to get in and around his heels and really try and stretch them a bit. And it's a strange one because I want to see Trossard play him, but I also think Enkeria has worked very hard to get his opportunity and he missed those two chances against Palace, which ultimately didn't matter in the end. We still got the three points. But his all-round game was very, very good that day. And the, the first chance against Palace, he made that himself. That was top-class centre-forward play and he was unlucky not to score. So I felt dropping him for that game was very disappointing to see. But the, the big one for me is Gabriel. It's seeing an Arsenal team without him on the pitch just doesn't feel right. I, I think he's probably our best raw defender in terms of physically engaging in duels and just the the very basics. I think Saliba's a much more aesthetically pleasing player. He's a much calmer presence and everything, but I think the two of them just complement each other so well. And I think that mm. the messing around with the defensive unit, that's something that I'm not really enjoying. And I, I look, I understand that Arteta wants to be more unpredictable and he wants to test things. And you ultimately, you have to test things and you have to try new things if you want the team to evolve and dominate games. And that's what he's trying to do. And it's just because I didn't like the starting 11 doesn't mean I didn't think that we should have won the game with it. I, I absolutely think we should have won that game. And if we don't concede in the first minute, I, I'm sure we would have come away with three points with that team. Yeah, I mean, look, the the it's the old saying, isn't it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Last I season, know, I don't we like figured that phrase, out though. our best starting lineup. I, I, yeah, fine, but in this case, <laughs> we've got four very competent defenders. I mean, okay, yeah. Zinchenko is out. You know, you can make the case that Kivior steps in for him. He proved it last season and he's good enough. Okay, I understand. Tini's just gone out alone. I guess we can have a quick conversation about that afterwards. But with Gabriel, Saliba and White, three defenders who did extraordinarily well last season, very competent, very effective. I still can't wrap my head around why Ben White is being played as a centre-back when we know he is one of the best right-backs in the league when he's played in that position. Um, I think it was evident against uh, Fulham that Thomas Partey at the right doesn't work. His best played position is in the middle of the pitch. It's where we get the most control. It's where we get the most dominance. It's where we're able to move the ball quickly. And also, the, if the first goal proved anything, it was, you know, this system is confusing and it's confused everyone else because Thomas Partey wasn't where he was supposed to be. There was a massive gap which allowed... Um, was it Pereira? Yep, Pereira to run into, um, and you know we can talk about the goal in a, in a, in a moment. I've actually written down you know, step by step what happened and why it all went wrong. But that back four needs to be reverted to what it was, in my opinion. Then you got the middle of the pitch. Now we spoke about Partey and um, Rice last episode, and the will we, won't we um, see it conversation and. It seems to me that, that Arteta is quite adamant to play Rice almost as a sole six with Partey coming into the frame um, during build-up. 
which is great because Partey gets to play in central midfield when we have the ball. But in moments of transition, it's really dangerous because players need to then revert back to their um, default positions and it looks very messy. And I noticed that throughout the game. During moments of transition, we're very, very slow to react. Obviously, having Havertz play alongside Rice as well, I don't think it's working. I think Havertz had a really, really difficult game against Fulham. And I think this is something that we're going to need to delve into a little bit more. Um, but the, I mean, the signs are clear. We played three games using this new system and we haven't seen, um, you know, a performance or we haven't seen anything that reflects that reflected last season's first three games so do you think going forward we need to just scrap this you know unpredictability because why do we need to be unpredictable if we already have a system which overpowers everyone else's why do we need to make more changes if already we've figured out something which allows us to be the best version of ourselves um i mean i i agree to an extent I think City are unpredictable, but at the same time, mm. even though we have changed and Arteta is tinkering and trying to be unpredictable, what he's ultimately trying to do is get control and suffocate teams. And if you look at the numbers from the first three games this year, we have been statistically a lot better than we were in the first three games last year. And I think we played with so much energy and passion and fury last year that, uh, that it, it kind of masked some of the mistakes. Like against Palace last year, we had 46% of possession there. We had, uh, I think we finished with 54% on Monday night. And that was when we were playing with 10 men. So we were much, much more in control there this year than we were last year and it's the same against Fulham we had much better numbers again last year against Fulham it was a really stupid mistake it was an error from Gabriel Mitrovic got in and basically scored into an open goal again and we had a really hard fought battle Odegaard ended up it was him that grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and really like fired us on and we went 2-1 up and we were able to see it out but it, it was a late winner and it was a game that we didn't have the same control in. So I think it's a, it's a really strange one because I, I don't think we're the cohesions there in the way it was last year. Mm. But I do think that we're much more dominant. And I guess the unpredictable side, it, it's a hard one because if you want to play the same style of football but be slightly unpredictable, I, I think... Arteta wants a few tricks up his sleeve, but not necessarily to be changing things every week. And it's probably something. Arteta says a lot of things that sometimes you agree with, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't actually know what he's talking about. So it's uh, <laughs> for me, I think this experiment is all about gaining control. And I, I don't like Thomas Party in that right back role. Because although he's inverting and he's spending a huge amount of his time in the middle of the park, as you said with the first goal, it's he's not in that area. And I, it's completely changed the way we build up because before we had the left back inverting, which gave you that strength and allowed the player in the left eight role to go further forward, do a lot of the off the ball work and it gave Martinelli more support as well. Whereas now we've completely switched it. So the right back is inverting 
opposite side of the pitch, so the build-up completely starts in a different area. It also means that Saka's a lot more isolated. Mm. He doesn't have that overlapper. And Odegaard, again, it's him and Saka playing kind of very close, intricate football between the two of them. Before, they had Ben White doing that. And now you're seeing White go forward. But is he a centre-back? Should he be going forward? Or is he a right-back? And then Party dropping in at centre-back. To me, it feels like Arteta has a Thomas Party problem in that he really likes him, he really rates him, we all do. The issue is he doesn't want to play him as his six because he's just spent $100 million on Declan Rice and he wants him in that role, but he also wants Party in the team and this feels like the most natural way to get him in there. So it's one, for me, I, I really don't like the lineup at the minute and... But then again, maybe his hand is being forced by injuries in that sense that Zinchenko wasn't completely ready to come back. But but yeah, just get big Gabby in the team. That's all I ask for. Ben White at right back, Gabby at the back. And, and a, yeah, and a lot of fans are questioning. I mean, you made the point that Arteta's got a Thomas Partey problem. I would argue that he's actually got a Kai Havertz problem spending 65 mil on a player and I guess not wanting to necessarily um, put him on the bench. I guess, you know, he's, his hand has been forced a little bit because he knows he's got a player here who's lacking in confidence, who's got great abilities and he's proven that at Leverkusen. And so he's trying really desperately hard to get the best out of him. But um, this might this might take a lot longer than um, we initially thought. Now, the, 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 the pressing question is, uh, do, do we have, can we afford that time on this player whilst also churning out results. Let me ask you this. Against United, what is your starting lineup? Oh, oh big Gabby in the team. Um, I, I, For me, it would be Ramsdale, White, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko, Rice, Partey, Odegaard, Jesus, Saka, Martinelli. Pretty much last year's team well, with there you go. the inclusion of Declan Rice. Identical, right? <laughs> so, and I would play Rice Identical, probably yeah. as an eight with Party sitting. But at the same time, if Jesus isn't ready to start, I, I wouldn't be against playing Havertz as a nine. And uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, I like Havertz. I like a lot of what he does. I, I don't think... I think when you have 70-odd percent of possession and you can see two goals as stupidly as we did, it's very difficult to blame Kai Havertz when the first one was at the opposite side of the pitch to where he plays. The second one, he wasn't on the pitch. So it's um, it, it's one of those, I think, he, he hasn't had a good game, but I, I just feel like he's someone that the lynch mob have been out for from the minute he was linked to Arsenal. It wasn't a... He he didn't need a bad performance for Arsenal to have people on his back. He was just one of those that arrived with that stigma attached to him that he he wasn't good enough. So, but yeah, for the United game, I would like to see that team. It's also important to remember we added th- three outfield players, and one of them's done his ACL. So, in terms of like making big changes, we haven't added huge numbers this season because of Timber's ACL. So the players that would come in, obviously Declan Rice is that upgrade, but you really are only talking about Havertz. So when it comes to changing the system, it is going to be what we saw last year. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting. You know, you've given basically the same starting lineup as last season. So it just goes to show that is the best starting lineup. That's where we're the most affected. That's the most reliable. So why not revert back to it and just play? And I, I get it. I get the argument. We need to be a little bit more unpredictable. We need to continue reinventing ourselves. But at the detriment of these sort of results, when we want to be challenging for a title, I don't know. I would, I would, I would argue that in order to make these changes, you need to have a league title under your belt. You know, it's appropriate for Man City to do it, to continue reinventing themselves because they've won uh, countless league titles so they can afford to reinvent. They can afford to um, continuously trial and test. Whereas Arsenal, they need to stick with what they know best because this season we are, for a lot of people, we're hot favourites to win the title. Um, In any case, let's delve into the game, talk about the first half. It was a very, very interesting game. Um, I know the result really doesn't reflect it, but it was, you know, it started right from the first minute and I've written myself a nice breakdown, um, you know, from every single pass to every single movement as to what happened with that first goal. So I'd like to talk about it and I'd like to discuss who's to blame for why did this happen? Because last season we saw this happen repetitively and I would have hoped that we would have learned our lesson and we would have tried to stop this. I think it's quite unfortunate, actually, that this goal was conceded because I think the the intent behind the build-up was to build up, um, essentially. But the build-up be- went horribly wrong when we were continuously repeating the same movement. So it starts off with Leno pumping the ball forward. Oh, sorry, no, not Leno. Um, <laughs> Ramsdale. Ramsdale pumping <laughs> the ball forward. Havertz doesn't go for the header. Instead, he moves away from the ball. Now, look, before you get angry at me for making Havertz escape go, I'm just narrating on what I saw, okay? Ramsdale pumps the ball up. Havertz doesn't go for the header. Instead, moves away from the ball. Rice wins the ball, the loose ball. Plays it to White, who plays it back to Ramsdale. Ramsdale plays it back to White, and then he passes it to Saliba. Saliba then passes it back to White. White moves down to the right-hand side before passing it to um, back to Thomas Partey, who's playing in White's position. So he's on the far right-hand side. Partey um, plays it into Rice, who plays it back to Ramsdale. Ramsdale crosses the ball to Kivior, who passes it short to Saliba. I think you can see a, a, a bit of a theme going on here. There were too many back-and-forths in that back line. We were too reluctant and hesitant to play the ball forward. And so Saliba finds White on the right-hand side. He plays it short to Rice, who has three Fulham shirts around him. I think at this point, the the Fulham players have decided they're going to press. So they surround um, Rice. Rice then has to poke a pass into Saka. And at this point, Part A has committed himself into midfield. Saka's pass looks to either be mishit or misread. But whatever happens there, he passes it straight into Pereira and Ramsdale's positioning. I mean, he's way too far out of his goal. Um, misreads the shot completely and it's 1-0 to Arsenal. So there are a few issues here. Number one, we're playing far too many passes. No, the first issue um, initially from the kickoff is not committing ourselves to win those first balls. Had Havertz won that first ball in the air, it might be a different story. Maybe I'm being a little bit critical and unfair in any case. The second issue is playing the ball continuously amongst ourselves in defence, unable to move it past the halfway line. The third issue is Partey and White 
continuously interchanging to the extent where at the end, neither of them know where to be and there's a massive hole left in the middle where unfortunately, poor Bukayo Saka um, is, I think, unfairly scapegoated for that pass because I think he's expecting someone to be there and because the game is being played at such a rapid pace at that point anyway, um, ball gets away from his foot, he's supposed to find someone, it doesn't and then Pereira's in on goal and again, Ramsdale's out of his goal that far deep because he's not he doesn't think in that situation is happening. He, he's not anticipating for us to lose the ball so cheaply. Um, so I think it's quite harsh to blame him for that goal either. But yeah, very sloppy from Arsenal, I think. Those are the mistakes that I've, I've identified. Um, what do you think? Do you think I'm being a little bit too harsh? Do you think that this was just a, an unfortunate event? How would you describe this? Um, well, I've got a question first. So after uh, Havertz doesn't win the header on the uh, right at the start, um, who wins the second ball? Rice picks up the loose ball. Yes. So, so I get it. So I'm yeah, being a little bit harsh. But so, uh, the premise is the, the attitude wasn't to try and win the ball. The attitude was that ball is coming down. I'm sandwiched in between two film players. Let me get out of the way. And then eventually, I think it, it was, who was the fellow who got the red card? I think he was the one that headed Calvin it out. Barcy. So, I'm, I just wanted to make the point, yeah, I just wanted to make the point that the intensity and the attitude wasn't right from the first whistle. Yeah, and that's I mean, why I, I think we conceded the first goal. I, I get that, but Pavard has won more headers for us, more aerial duels than any other player in the first three games. And um, so mm. I, for me, I, I, I'll be honest, I need to watch this bit back because... It, like, no, I'm honestly, not I urge honest. you to do it. Because I had to watch that clip a good three to four times. Um, and it was, for me, it was very concerning because I don't want to see any Arsenal player try to shift themselves out of scenarios where they need to be all in. Yeah, I mean, as I say, when it comes to aerial duels, that's not a concern for me with Kai Havertz. Um, this one may be an exception, but I do think you've won the second ball. The number of passes between not winning that header and the end result that that's a lot of possession Arsenal had. So I think the most important thing with any long ball is winning the second ball. So it's great. Like we had games when we had Jury in the team where he would win header after header, and we would have no one that was picking up the ball after it. And it's like you can have someone that's great in the air wins headers, but it's where are they going and. It's ultimately you want your team to get the ball. You want to be able to get a foot on it, retain possession, and start to play. So I I think that is probably being slightly harsh. But at the same time, I do want to see players compete. I think Gabriel Jesus actually wins very few balls statistically. But what he does is he causes major problems for defenders and mean it makes it that Arsenal actually win the second ball a lot. So if you look at his numbers and Ramsdale's completed passes to him, they're actually quite low. But if you look at the chaos it causes, very rarely defenders are able to play a pass straight to where they want to go, nodded off to a teammate. Jesus is just causing havoc. So for me, the second ball is always the most important there. Um, with the point on playing it out from the back, um, I mean, I want to see us do that. I think the the passing was good. Um, we look comfortable when Kivior had it and he plays it in and we work our way across the park. Even when it came to the goal, like 
the the interchange between Rice and he plays it out to Saka. It's really aggressive play from Paulinha, who he was fantastic all game, but it's one of those Rice still manages to get the pass away. Like Paulinha comes in hard on him fairly as well, but it's one of those it kind of showed the control that Declan Rice had to just pop it round the corner and get it to Saka. And it, it's one of those whenever you're playing against a team that are going to sit deep, you do need to play it in that area of the park. You need, need to draw them out a bit because the alternative is you just pin them back further and it becomes very difficult to break that low block down. And I think it, it's one of those, if if the per, if the player is in the position Saka expects him to be or Saka doesn't misplace that pass, we're not talking about this. So it's one of those we, we're probably talking about we started the first two minutes of the game really well. We were passing the ball all over the park and it's it's one of those this is such a freak goal to concede. The issue is these freak goals keep happening. And I do think your point about the confusion within the team is right there. So that, that's the one that I do really agree on. I think Parties in one place. You've got Ben White off slightly to the right. You've got different players that are all moving around. And there's there's so much movement in the team at such an early stage of the game. I would rather see us kind of settle into a game a bit and um, not, not go full throttle and moving players around. And I'm trying to think. Uh, the, the big thing is, Players are they're rotating and interchanging so much that as they're trying to settle into the game, it means that it's very easy to drop out of position. And as we saw, it it's not even a good strike from uh, Pereira. It's one of those, it, it's just a really shit goal all round. It's one of those, we've so much of the ball, one per pass, and a player that... Like nine times out of ten, Ramsdale just picks that ball up. Instead, he's caught completely off guard because he's again because we're playing it out. Ramsdale is expected to be higher up the pitch, and it was just—it's just one of those freak goals that we're seeing too often from Arsenal. We really, really need to cut out those mistakes. Yeah, and the difference between, um, and I guess the reason why I mentioned the constant passing it from one centre-back to another one, then a right-back, then a left-back, is because the moment the game restarts after conceding that goal, Ramsdale pumps the ball forward. This time, there's a lot more um, urgency to get the ball forward as opposed to in, in between the defenders. Now, I get it. I get the importance of making sure everyone has a touch to ease into the game. But... Um, I've always associated Arsenal, especially last season, as a side who, when we get the ball, we make sure we try and get it into the spaces that need to be um, attacked. And rather than you know being a little bit slow and sluggish, um, I've always liked a sense of panic, a sense of franticness being played in the attacking zones because it puts the opposition off. And because we're so good in the final third, it allows us to be able to um, you know set the tone a little bit, you know. Um, and so I guess, you know, let's we can talk about what happens um, after the, the, the first goal is conceded. Uh, a barrage of opportunities come our way. And one player who I felt like saw the ball a lot and we were quite, I think, fairly critical of last week was um, Gabriel Martinelli. And I think your observations on him last week were bang on because this 
time round against Fulham, he did look like a shadow of himself. Um, and I, 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 it was surprising for me, number one, to see us play the ball as many times as we did down the left-hand side because um, Bakayo Saka's, you know, excellent on the ball in possession, excellent at taking his man on and really effective in getting the ball into the danger zones. So, yeah, it was surprising for me to see Arteta, I guess, switch. Or whether it was Arteta or the players on the pitch at the time, it was interesting to see us try and find Martinelli as many times as we did. Um, but yeah, definitely in the first opening 10, 15 minutes, he was the one that was seeing quite a lot of the possession, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he saw quite a fair bit. I'm just trying to see how many touches he actually had because to me, he just feels isolated. Like, it's... I thought last week he was poor. I thought today was, or Saturday, he was quite good. But that left-hand side just feels isolated. And I know Zinchenko's not fully fit, but Martinelli, 63 touches. So, again, 42 of 48 passes completed. That's a stat I don't really want to see from my left winger is an 88% passing accuracy because it, it it's almost suggesting that there's safer passes being played. The options aren't there. The the risks aren't being taken. So you kind of want to see maybe 77%. And I know that sounds daft, but it's. I remember Kevin De Bruyne talking about this last year, and he was like, what is the point of a creative midfielder having 100% passing accuracy? He was like, you can have that stat and play it sideways for 90 minutes, but the job of that player in those areas is to agitate and cause problems. And... If you don't take risks, you're not. Those passes won't come off. And again, it's one of those. Right now, I'm looking at Martinelli's numbers, and it's they're all very good on paper. But I just felt he was isolated, and it was only really when the era came on that he had someone to work with. But I feel he's very, very wide, and we talked about this last year. And um, where he did seem completely kind of isolated on that left-hand side. He's, his job is obviously to be a stretcher on the pitch and really make the pitch big. However, I think with Kivior behind him, he's got more of a defensive player. And with Zinchenko, he's very much an attacking thinker. Zinchenko is essentially a 10 planet left-back. And... He's getting the ball. He's playing those incredible line-splitting passes, just those verticals that others can't see. Kivior doesn't have that in his game. Very few players do have what Zinchenko has. And for me, it's just... The whole left side just feels a bit disjointed, a bit broken. And again, I hate to keep going back to the Gabriel thing, but Gabriel played every game in preseason. He's played 73 games in a row for us. The team is so used to having him in that area. And even down to whenever we're pushing for a goal, Gabriel's one of those that's very good at winning the ball high up the park and just keeping recycling it. So I think all those factors come into play when we look at someone like Martinelli and that it's not just him not hitting his best form yet. There are more reasons behind it. And I do also wonder if that's part of the issues that we're having with Havertz, is put Sinchenko in there and you've got a very different option. You've got someone playing different types of passes. You've got someone that's much closer to him in terms of um, able to receive at all times. And 
it, it Zinchenko makes us a better side, and I think with Gabriel as well, we're a better side. So right now, I think there's a lot of disjointed play within the team, and a big part of that's down to this like constant moving parts that Arteta's putting in place. Yeah, and I do. I mean, yeah, I I, I agree. I do think um, you know having certain players there makes a big difference, but we know that with players like Martinelli and Saka, they're more individualistic type of players rather than supporting acts or needing supporting acts. You know, for example, you can tell straight away when Saka picks up the ball, he's going to take his man on and he's more likely to beat them than not. Martinelli, on the other hand, he had a number of occasions where he could have taken t- took, took his man on, but instead decided to play it into someone open um, and... You know, just he's missing that bit of spark, that bit of sharpness that we're so used to seeing, that bit of, um, yeah, franticness. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not sure what's happening. I'm not sure what's, whether it's a, it's a lack of confidence or whether it's because that left hand side is so disjointed. Um, but certainly, yeah, with Kivior being there, it doesn't help because, Unfortunately, he's just not up to standards, up to the standards to play that left back role. Um, and he has a, the similar issues as Havertz in the sense that he's more of a slow burner type of player, um, slower to release the ball, slower to, I guess, move with the ball. And maybe that's the issue that we have with someone like Havertz. Maybe it's, it's, it's not a case that he isn't I think we all know he's naturally gifted and I think he's shown that he's able to do the um, the standard things, you know, very well. But what what we had last season is a squad full of players who were killing themselves to be in certain positions or playing at such a high tempo that it, it made it really difficult for other teams to catch up or to play at that tempo. Now that we've got someone like Havertz, who's more used to playing at a different type of tempo, I think that is having a knock-on effect on the way that we're able to move the ball. Again, I might be wrong. This is just an observation that I made from that Fulham game. He definitely puts himself into good position. He definitely has the ability to read the game really well. But do we have someone here who just hasn't quite matched the tempo that we're used to playing? (laughs) Um, I, I, I don't know. It, the thing I want to see more from Havertz is more touches. I want to see him involved more because I think his off the ball works actually really good. He runs more than any other player. He covers more ground. He wins more uh, duels. So I, I think there's a lot, a lot of harsh criticism around him. And I again, I come back to the numbers. If you look at the number of shots we had, the amount of possession we had, it's very difficult to blame a player that's playing in an attacking role. And it's also, we can only view and analyse a game from what we've seen on TV. We don't know what Arteta's telling players. So the likes of, to your point on Martinelli, not taking on his man, you don't know if that's a tactical thing where Arteta's saying to him, right, I want more control here. Rather than trying to beat your man every time, I want to play back to someone in space and we keep building and keep building. So it, I think just our instincts tell us that a winger should try to beat his man. But if 
again with uh, Jack Grealish in his first season, he said he was scared to take on his man because Pep wanted control. He didn't want him doing that. So all the things that Grealish had done his whole career, suddenly he, he had to relearn that left wing position. So it could be a tactical thing where Art Martinelli's being told to do that. Um, and again with Havertz, we don't know what he's being told. But right now we're three games in and I, I don't feel either goal had anything to do with him. The second one, especially as he wasn't on the pitch. But I think the frustrating thing about this game is the nature of the way we conceded the opening goal dictated how the game was played out. So, so yeah, that, that's very much where I stand. I think I, I want to see more from Havertz. I'm not saying he's been good and I don't think he was good on Saturday. I think he was good in the first two games, not spectacular, but I, I want to see more. And I think he's got it in his locker. But the big thing, and I've said it all summer, is we need to repair his confidence. But also it's important to remember this is a guy who's playing a completely new position. So he played in a, a more similar role to this at Leverkusen, but that was three years ago. And in that time at Chelsea, he's had about 100 different coaches all coaching him different things predominantly coaching him to play as a nine so if you look at a lot of his like hold up play the layoffs that he he gives a lot of them are very much the the work of a striker whereas in that left eight position you want them on the half turn you want them running into space and you want them thinking like a midfielder whereas i feel there there's that one that's all over social media where he's getting really heavily criticized for about 10 yards of space behind him and he just knocks it back and it goes to a full employer. That's a centre forward knocking it back. A give and go, you knock it back to your 10, your 8, whatever. You spin into the space behind you. That's how strikers are coached. That is not how midfielders play. And I think this is something that we are going to have to have a bit of patience around is as he learns that position and he gets his confidence. But... But yeah, for me, the criticism is a bit harsh given the the nature of the game as a whole. Mm. Okay, I have a slightly different approach and um, insight to this. And that is, yes, you're right. Players do need to be coached into playing the way that the manager wants. They do need to find their rhythm and their flow. But certain periods of the game where certain moments happen the actions of a player will reflect on them and their ability to do certain things. For example, there is a moment in the game where White plays a lovely ball over the top for Havertz. He reads the run really well, but the pace, he doesn't kill himself to get to the ball. Now, we can argue that the goalkeeper is going to get there first, but we know that if that's Gabriel Jesus up there, he's going to make sure that he's 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 making that 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 run right to the very last second until he knows he's gonna yeah. um, miss out on that. Very similarly, there is another chance where Saka plays a ball across the face of goal. There's no one in there to tap it in. Havertz is the um, I guess the 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 most likely player to be there to to poke it in. He fails to get to the ball because he doesn't kill himself to get to the ball. Again, it's really, really nice. Uh, and I don't think the issue with the game was 
a lack of us creating opportunities or a lack of um you know dominance or the ability to not play intricate nice lovely football because in the first half we were all over there being able mm. to play um on the right on the left down the middle especially between i felt like there was a really nice uh, there's a really nice relationship being built with between Odegaard Saka and Rice um but the 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 thing that's bothering me right now is not being clinical enough and not showing the desire to want to get the ball in the back of the net. It's all very kind of complacent. It's all very, we know we're good enough. We know we're able to generate the opportunities. One of them will stick, but we're not, we, we, we haven't quite built that um, bulletproof mindset of we need to make sure we make every opportunity count. Because City, for instance, yesterday, they were, you know, drawing 1-1 and the moment that Sheffield United scored, they were all over Sheffield United and they made sure that their opportunity counted. Very pressurised yeah. situation and they, they worked well with it. But on, on that point, Haaland also missed a, a number of big chances yesterday. So for me, mm. it's it's not just the number of chances we're creating. I feel there's a lack of clear-cut chances. And if you look at any top striker, look at Aguero down the years, Thierry Henry... They all missed a lot of big chances. The thing that they all have is they keep getting in the positions. They keep creating chances for themselves. But they had team teammates around them that were creating clear-cut chances. And right now, I don't feel we're creating enough of them. I do agree with you about the point of killing yourself to get to that ball. And I think especially when you're a goal down, you want to see players really fight, really get there. And I think part of what makes... Havertz frustrating is the body language and when you're comparing him to a player like Gabriel Jesus who is literally 100 mile an hour all the time and he is that player that will give you absolutely every last drop of his energy until he's taken off the pitch and he having him back is going to be massive so so yeah I there are things when it comes to coaching that I think you can coach with players and there's things you can motivate but a big part of that's intrinsic. If you look at someone like Declan Rice or Gabriel Jesus, that work rate, that instinct is just so natural to them. First, work rate isn't a natural thing for every player. And it's it's almost like a gift. It's one of those, it's a real asset that some players have it where they can, in the same way as like we talk about technical ability, work rate and having that natural work rate and that natural instinct to defend, to press to hurry and really scrap at players that's a talent in its own right that not everyone has and I think it's something that's very difficult to coach because the players that need that side coached need to be motivated constantly to do it whereas your Arteta's never going to have to say to Rice or Jesus I want you running I want you chasing I want you doing those things I think there are other players that probably do have to be motivated that bit more and it's something with Havertz and it's not the work rate or the dual side. It's more, I do agree with you. It's, we want that extra 10% where you run and you chase and you like, you really show us how quick you are to get to that ball, throw yourself at it. And sometimes it's not even just to that you think you're going to get there. It, the fans respond to it because they see a player throwing their whole body to try and stretch for something and they get behind you. It gives them a lift and makes you that makes the crowd believe. So it's almost like playing the part, and because um, essentially football is an entertainment game, and 
people respond to effort and everything as well. So that is definitely somewhere Havertz can improve is just almost making it look like he's doing the things that he's already doing, but he just, his body language can make him look lazier than he is because he's definitely not lazy. Hmm. Now, let's talk about Fulham and kind of their effectiveness in the game. I don't think they, I mean, I rewatched the game. At first glance, it did seem like um, it was a bit of a, cat and mouse game um, and there were periods of the game where Fulham had dominance in that first half upon watching it again it was clear to me that actually um, it was more a case of Arsenal just not being structured well enough there was a chance where Jimenez has an outstanding effort um, a really dynamic sort of scissor kick which goes just wide and it came from White not being dominant enough in the air, it's far too casual, fails to clear the ball, and you know, fortunately, the ball goes inches wide. Um, however, like I said, their spell of dominance that came in the half hour mark, winning the ball back into key areas of the pitch, quickly playing the ball into open spaces, came from the inability to structure ourselves or get ourselves back into the defensive shape. Um, quick enough during transitions. We were leaving far too many of those spaces between the midfield and defensive lines open for them, allowing them to get into the danger zones um, quicker. And so does that does that go back to the, form, not the formation, sorry, the players who are playing in the certain positions? For example, White playing as a centre-back, not being that um, imposing in the air. Is, is it a case that Havertz and just generally just have us not being able to run back in time and close those spaces um or do we need to give a bit more credit to Fulham who uh, I guess took their chances and who looked in the game right until the very final minute I thought Fulham were good they were well organized I I like Marco Silva and I think that Fulham side is Mm. a good side um the Ben White one frustrated me because I was looking at it I was thinking just deal with that and yes, there is the positional side and the, the kind of moving parts. But remember, Ben White played centre-back for a long time. He's in the air in terms of winning duels, spotting danger. Ben White's very, very good at that. I think it was just a per moment from him. And I think it's something that we can make excuses. We can blame Arteta. We can do whatever. White failed to deal with that ball. And he's someone... I thought he had a good game for the most part. Um, not his best game because his standards are so high, but I just felt he should have dealt with that better. There's no other way around it. It's, he was weak in the air. He didn't seem fully... He never looked sure about what he was going to do, and that worries me for a defender. It was one of those, the minute he didn't deal with that ball, I thought they're going to create something here. And it was a really good effort from Jimenez, and it was one that I was relieved to see fly wide because at one point it looked like that was going to drop in. So, but yeah, the the dominance that you said with Fulham, they had 97 passes in the whole of the first half. So they had 29% of the possession. And when you look at it, the issue is when we have that much of the ball, they still managed to have six shots. And I think that makes it feel like they were much more in the game than they were. Because again, we have to work so hard and be so clever to create and get into the final third. 
and break teams down. But it seems like teams can get through us far too easily. And this is something that we saw at the end of last season. And it's something that will cost us if we don't sort it out. Because right now, I just feel that we're too easy to play through. And we were fortunate that that Jimenez chance didn't go in. None of the others really challenged us. But it's still the fact they're getting six shots off in a game when they've got so little of the ball. And that's definitely a concern for me. But all in all, I think we really dominated that first half. And uh, it was the Saka header in the first half. The cross into the ball. That, I mean, if you go, if you coaching kids how to head a ball, show them that video of how not to commit yourself to a header. It was a disastrous way to attack the ball from Bukayo Saka, and I, I was thinking about. It. I don't think he scored a header for Arsenal. I may be wrong, but it was one of those that should have been a goal. That was one of those that was on a plate. It's so close and. There's no way Lano's stopping that unless it's straight at him. So, but all in all, I thought we did dominate that first half, but we just need to be more clinical and we need to be more organized when we lose the ball and not let teams just cut us open straight away. Well, you could make the argument as well that the offside goal could have been a goal as well. Um, no lines were drawn. I don't know whether I'm nitpicking here, but it felt like to me... Havertz might have been onside and Robinson may have been keeping him onside. I don't know whether anyone has looked at this properly, but when I was watching it back again, I was really surprised that they didn't draw the lines. And actually last season, similar situation happened where they failed to draw the lines and and actually a goal was chalked off when it shouldn't have. Um, But, you know, the goal itself, lovely strike following a cutback pass from Havertz. And again, I don't feel like Havertz meant to make that pass. It was such a really awkward pass made by him. It ended up being find, finding Odegaard. Um, he put his laces through it. And yeah, just unfortunate that we weren't able to get that scene by VAR properly. Um, Odegaard, uh, I mean, we can have a chat about Odegaard in the second half, but someone who I'm keen to, to, to speak about is a player who we have been asking for, calling for to be put in the starting lineup, and that's Leandro, Leandro Trossard. Um, it was unfortunate, wasn't it, that he didn't have the best game. And I think a lot of that comes down to his positioning. Um, we know his best and his most favoured position is probably on the left-hand side where Martinelli was. Unfortunately for him, Martinelli was on the pitch at the same time as him. So he was having to play in the middle. He was having to sort of play as a false nine at times as well. Um, yeah, what went wrong for him? Um, I, well, I think he's actually played his best football for Arsenal as a false nine rather than a left winger. But uh, I think we've got this issue where whoever's playing nine at the minute is coming deep whenever, and Havertz is going beyond them for aerial duels. And I think that's part of the cohesion problem right now is that the players are still learning this stuff. So we're still getting used to it. And then we're seeing play, like our lineup changing every week. So Nketiah would have just been getting used to that. Then he's dropped. And then uh, Trossard comes in. Then Gabriel Jesus is coming in. So... For me, it it was just it wasn't a great game from him. I didn't think he was really at it. He didn't have a huge number of touches passing again. He only attempted seventeen passes, completed twelve, and I just thought it was one of those games where it just didn't really go well for him. But 
on another day. It, again, perhaps it comes into the fact that you concede so early on that unless you respond very, very quickly, it becomes very difficult for forward players to really impact the game. And again, playing against Calvin Bassey, big, big centre-back, very physical, very fast. Okay, that sound can only mean one thing. We've arrived at the halfway point, a little bit over the halfway point, actually. We've actually spent a lot of time speaking about the first half, but I think uh, a lot of that was down to the um, the starting lineup. So, yeah, rather than... Listen, we've taken your comments on board and we've considered um, the feedback. And the outcome is we will be scrapping the half time um guided meditation <laughs> should we should we have a little cheer about that hold on way there we are <laughs> okay what well, we are going to replace it for something we're not sure yet what that's going to be but for now we are going to be moving on to the second half discussions where um a lot happened. Arsenal got yeah. their two goals. There was a red card incident. There were many um, changes being made. One immediately off the bat that Arteta decided to make, which was bringing on Eddie Inketiah, And a really good change made by him as well. And actually, I was very surprised that 10 minutes later, he made a following additional two changes, Vieira and Tenchenko. Now, does that reflect a manager who is slightly panicking or is it something that he's finally beginning to pick up beginning to learn when to make the right uh subs because i think for these kind of things it, it, it does come down to a uh, intuition doesn't it yeah and i think there's certain things that you plan for before a game but it, i guess zinchenko is a player that arteta would have wanted on the pitch but actually I didn't think he was that great when he came on. I thought he was good, but it wasn't one of his best games. And um, but yeah, he was good, and I, I was glad to see Arteta make the changes when he did. The big one for me was Eddie. I thought he should have started the game, and he came on. He looked hungry. He looked fired up, and really, it, it gave us that bright start of the second half. The I wouldn't say we were lacking in the first half because actually there were chances created. There were a lot of things happening. There so much of the ball. So it's hard to say we didn't have that spark, but I think Eddie just added something that it's hard to explain. It's, it was what we needed at the time, and I was glad to see him coming on. But obviously the two that came after that, Fabio Vieira, he was the one that probably changed the game overall. I thought he was fantastic, and it was hopefully a coming-of-age performance, but it's one of those, a bit like I'm not getting carried away with Havertz's performance. I'm not going to get carried away about what I saw from Vieira because when you're coming on in an attacking position, when your team have that much of the ball and you're chasing a goal, it's much easier to perform. I'll judge Fabio Vieira properly when I see him do it for 80, 90 minutes in a game where he has to do both sides of the game, where he has to defend, he has to... Uh, create and I want to see him as a starter it's a bit like with Reese Nelson last year against Bournemouth he came on when it was like full intensity like chasing that goal and he obviously had that massive moment but we weren't shouting for Reese Nelson to be starting the next week we were all 
just embracing that moment. So it was great to see. I thought he was fantastic. And the big thing for me with Vieira, I've never had any doubts about his technical ability, his creativity. My doubt has always been about his bravery. And by that, it's I want to see him wanting to get on the ball and arriving on time to receive because that's the big thing. I've always felt that he arrived possibly half a yard short and it meant that he engaged in a duel that he was never going to win. And that's they were the things that he did well on Saturday. He arrived early. He wanted the ball. He was thinking ahead. He knew what he was going to do with the ball. And he was he looked ice cold as well. And yeah, just a really, really great performance and hopefully one that we see more of. Yeah, definitely. Definitely took all the headlines, didn't he? Well, not all of them, but um, positives out of the game. He was definitely one of the few we can talk about. Um, that second half, though, was very much a half of two halves in itself. Uh, we started it off really, really well, front-footed, very um, intense. And in doing that, we forced those two goals. The first one um, was a penalty that uh, Bakayo Saka took this time round, which was a, a surprise for many. What, what What's going on there then? You know, first we have Odegaard take one. Now it's Eddie. Sorry, now it's... Uh, uh, Sorry, Bukayo Saka. Um, is this a, a, a mind game sort of thing going on? Has, is Arteta trying again to tinker? Yeah, <laughs> and the penalty uh, takers as well. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing if you've got two players that can hit them. If you look at the Invincibles around that time, um, Lauren used to hit penalties for us and Thierry Henry obviously hit them. We had multiple players that could hit them that were good penalty takers. And... Down the years, we had Fabregas and Van Persie that could both hit them and would interchange at times. I think Adebayora as well. So having multiple players that can hit pens is only a good thing. And I think they both scored. So Odegaard stepped up in a, at a big moment in the game. He looked ice cool in that and put it in the bottom corner. I thought Saka's penalty was really well hit at the weekend. He obviously gave Leno the eyes, put it in the bottom right, sent Leno the wrong way, and it was just a very nice finish. But it was one I was glad to see Saka take it because I did have a a doubt after that West Ham game and then he missed one in preseason and his penalty in the community shield wasn't the cleanest hit. I did think, is there going to be a confidence issue with him on pens and is that why Odegaard's taking it? So... So yeah, I was glad to see him step up and hit it. It was a great pen and it was a big, big moment and it showed again that he can more than handle the pressure. Mm. And the second goal, Eddie's goal, um, again, just I guess if you want to talk about the differences, between, I'm going to lay off Havertz now. I think, <laughs> I think I've had enough bites at him, enough nibbles. But if, if, we, if, we're, if we're describing the, um, the ideal number nine is someone who's at the right place at the right time or someone who reads the game really, really well and who's able to be clinical. And that goal, I guess, showed all three. And, you know, it's weird to be able to describing, to, it's weird to describe such a simple bit of football in those three different ways but um, it's the simple things which is the most difficult and during we've in the first half you could argue we had two or three of those similar types of scenarios where the ball was being played uh, across the face of goal in really good place uh, positions but there were no, no no one was there um, 
Nketiah, on the other hand, he was there and the contact with the ball was really nice and sweet as well. Um, so again, really, really good to see him on the score sheet as well. Surely now, if Jesus isn't fit next week for United, Nketiah has a start, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that that finish isn't an easy one. He's running, he's attacking the box, mm. he's running in. It's that pass from Vieira was just ice cold. Have you seen the video of him afterwards? And he just stands and turns to the crowd and just like he knew, he just knew that pass was inch perfect. And it's it's not an easy finish to take that first time is the sign of a confident player. And that's something that I want to see more of from Incaria is him having that confidence to take those chances and. After the two misses against Palace, that was a big, big goal for him. So it's it was one of those because so much happened in like a three or four minute period. And obviously Bassi was down, so there was the whole controversy. Marco Silva got himself a yellow card. So he's 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 now had three yellows in three games. And now it's it, they were kicking off about the fact that Bassi was down, which to me, Bassi's lying on the line. He Basically, it meant that no Arsenal player could have been offside, and it also meant that um, he 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 could have taken himself off the pitch. So it's one of those. It's not Arsenal's responsibility to put the ball out of play. We obviously, it's great if a team does that whenever it works in your favour. But most teams don't kick the ball out of play anymore. So so yeah, just a really good goal. Very nice finish, and it was just great to see Eddie get it because he's worked hard to be there. Now, what happens after the goal is the, the the level of intensity drops slightly, but it drops to an appropriate level. I think the game is still being played at a reasonable tempo, and it's it, it it's not until the red card or the second yellow where Bassi basically floors Inketia and gets himself sent off where Arsenal decide to take the foot off the pedal. Um, that's how I felt anyway. That's how we conceded. It wasn't a case of, you know, we made a mistake. We, uh, Fulham were just aggress- overly aggressive. It was a case of Arsenal considering themselves, um, you know, home and dry. Um, seeing the time, we've got seven minutes left. Let's all chill out. Let's all kind of just defend and make sure we don't um, do anything silly. Why is it the case that I mean, so many times last season, the back end of last season, we had that complacency, that level of comfortability, being two goals up, dominating in the opening 20 minutes, and then having the unfortunate happen to us. Why is it the case that we've done this again against 10-man Fulham with seven minutes to go? A concentration. And that's the thing, I think, we, we've seen it at both ends of the game. We've seen it literally first minute where we're trying to do things, not everyone's fully up to speed, not switched on. And then the goal that we conceded was criminal for me. It starts off with um, us passing the ball around. Zinchenko plays a really poor infield pass from the left-back role. They end up going forward, went in a corner. It was really good play from Declan Rice. He came across, won the ball, caught out any danger and uh, showed exactly why we've paid so much money for him. I thought he was really good overall. And uh, then 
it's just such poor marking from the corner. There's again Zinchenko is the player at the near post. He doesn't commit himself to win that header. Um, Saka doesn't go for it. Um, I think Rice is in the box there, but I'm not sure exactly where he was. But the two I was looking at were Zinchenko at the near post and Saka, who doesn't track his run. But it was it was a nice finish from Palinha, but it was just such poor defending for a ball to go through that many Arsenal players that late in the game. It's mm. just like, come on, lads, give yourselves a shake here. We need to be seeing this game out. And it, it's just... Uh, it's that thing that I keep coming back to of we're so easy to play through that whenever that ball was lost by Zinchenko, suddenly they're at the other end, they're at the byline getting a corner. And it feels like if the opposition lose the ball in that position, we then have to start our full build up again and we don't it just takes so much more work for Arsenal to do it. But when we lose it, we are just cut open very, very fast and that's something Arteta really, really needs to address. And something, again, I think may come back to these constant lineup changes. As you were talking there, I was just watching, finishing off the second half of the game. As you know, we were talking before we recorded. I was saying how I was re-watching the first half. I wanted to watch the second half. Didn't get an opportunity to. But as we're recording this podcast, I've been watching the second half as well. And it's clear to me that there is... Um, it's, it's a little bit worse than a lack of concentration. It is um, attitude. It is a level of complacency. And it's unforgivable at this level, really. When you want to go for a title, when you know that you are, again, hot favourites to be challenging City, to have that, is it a level of arrogance or is it a level of just naivety? At this point, it will be difficult to make a case for naivety because we've been through this time and time again. Last, if if this had happened last season, you could make an argument um, for you know that level of naivety. But I just think it might be a level of arrogance. It might be a level of complacency. Um, when we, I mean, I, I guess a big theme of this show has been the attitude or the ability to want to kill yourself to be in certain situations. The second goal that we conceded, but Kairo Saka isn't killing himself to get to that ball. He, he no. he's, he's not killing himself to get to track his man. I'm literally um, just watching the, the the goal now, and he's he's standing there. So let's have a look. The ball whips in. He could easily put a foot in if he wanted to. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's happening too quick for him to react. But surely it's instinctive that when the ball comes into your area of that box. You're doing everything you can to get your whole body to block that shot, to try and put the player off. If it means committing a foul, you would instinctively commit a foul. But it's just too lackadaisical. It's just far too casual. And it's not until we concede that goal do the players finally realise, okay, we've conceded a goal with five minutes to go playing against 10-man Fulham. We really need to do something. Again, the tempo steps up again. There's a spark of the way that we're moving and it could easily go very wrong in the final minutes of the game with... Um, Traore. The fellow that will... Yeah, Traore. Uh, getting in on goal. A really, really good save from um, Ramsdale. Otherwise, he had beaten Saliba. Um, and I guess this is a good segue to talk about um, Ramsdale because, again, for some weird reason... 
I'm noticing a lot of criticism being pointed at him when I think he did very little wrong other than the first goal, which again was just unfortunate. Um, but next game, something has to change because this this does very much feel like a defeat, even though you know we salvaged the point. But next game against United, are we keeping Ramsdale in goal? Is 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 there a need to make a drastic change in order to? I don't know. You know, it's it's silly of me to even entertain the idea of uh, replacing Ramsdale for for Raya. But sometimes when the team, and I think it's fair to say, after three games being played, we're yet to see the best version of ourselves. Sometimes a, a, a change, any sort of change, but a drastic change of that kind of nature needs to be made in order to see um, that injection being pumped back in. What do you think? No, I wouldn't be dropping him. Part of the issue for me is we've played three different lineups and there seems to be, there is a lack of cohesion right now. I think to then replace a goalkeeper as well, because that is the other thing. It, a keeper and a defensive unit get used to each other. They learn, they understand and so on. And I think it's great having Raya, but I, I don't think Ramsdale did a lot wrong today. I think... Possibly the first goal he could have done better, but that's a collection of errors. And for me, you have to look at where it starts. It's like that poor pass from Saka. And then there's just so much space for Fulham. But then when we needed him at the end, he makes that big save against Traore, who absolutely blitzed Saliba. And I was worried when he goes to ground in the box, some people are like, oh, he did well. He did well because Traore didn't score. But I don't think he did enough there. Um, but where he was clever was not committing to the challenge outside the box so he would have been sent off. But he does go to ground in the box and Traore shifts it onto his left foot so he actually takes himself away from Saliba. I think Traore could have possibly initiated contact and had he not have just moved the ball away from Saliba, he could have got a penalty there, but he didn't. And Ramsdale makes a very good save when we need him and I think it would be very, very harsh to drop him at this point because first game, Forrest, I thought he was very good. I thought he was good against Palace as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't be making that change. And I think sometimes because there is a backup or a competitor in the team, people are more vocal about it and we need to play Raya, we need to do this. But, but actually, I think the... Ramsdale was very good overall and it's just a shame that the first goal happened the way it did but all in all for me the big thing and I put a tweet out about it was there were 11 players on the pitch who I felt didn't perform to the levels that we expect them to and it just as a team as a a unit on the pitch I didn't think we were good enough and I haven't felt that we were we've been particularly great in any of our games we've held a lot of the ball but again against Forest, there was complacency crept in in that game and that's how we conceded that second or that goal that went 2-1 and we ended up with a nervy finish that day so I, I think there's a complacency problem but I think there's 11 players on the pitch that need to step up and need to just give that extra 1-2% that gets you over the line and really kills the game off so but for me, Ramsdale has to keep his spot for now. And I, I also think give Rhea a chance in the Cups next month and see how he does before we start 
making massive calls to change our keeper when we've got a back four that's changed every week. Mm. Okay. Um, I don't know if there's anything else left for us to talk about. I mean, Jesus had nine minutes um, just watching Vieira pull up, pull off that incredible um, overhead kick, which had it gone in, it would have been considered one of the goals of the season, surely. But um, yeah, is, is, there, is, is it worth us discussing Jesus' cameo? came on for nine no I, I don't I think don't there was enough in there so much. it's just yeah. really great to have yeah. him back I think that's the main thing um the the other one is Smith Rowe it's another game he's got no minutes at all chasing a game yeah. and there are are rumors that both him and Gabrielle could leave this week for me I don't know if you saw Arteta's press conference before the game he was asked about Gabrielle and he said there is nothing there for now and I was thinking, like, Arteta has shut down rumours in the past and said, no, absolutely, mm, this player yeah. will be here. I didn't feel confident that in what Arteta said about Gabriel definitely being here. And that, for me, is a major worry because I think if he if he leaves, that leaves us with, what, three or four days to get someone in? And we, we know... There's been links to Guayhi from Crystal Palace, who I really like. But at this point, I think Gabriel's a better player. I think Gabriel and Saliba have a connection that is quite often overlooked at how good they are as a unit. And then there's talk Smith Rowe could go on loan. There's also talk that Chelsea have made an inquiry about him. So I, I really don't know what's happening there. So there are a few things that I think there's stuff going on behind the scenes at Arsenal and that I'm not overly enamoured with at this time. So I'm hoping that as the week goes on, we get more clarity because Smith Rowe came on in the Community Shield and I thought he was fantastic. And again, I thought he would have been the kind of player that you're playing against a deep block. What more do you want than a player with really quick feet, mm. close control, and those like give and goes, that is where Smith Rowe excels. He draws players towards him. He knocks it off effortlessly. And he's a great finisher as well. So, yeah, I really don't know what's going on there. And it's one that I find it very strange because he came back looking very, very fit. He worked hard in preseason. He had a really good Euros with England. And it's it's a shame that we've got a player of that level of talent that was so good for us a couple of years ago. And he's just not getting near the pitch. What the hell is happening with Gabriel? Why Why? Why do you think it is that he's not playing? Is it a case that there's something going on um, with Arteta? Um, is, it, is it his level of commitment in training? Is it a, uh, If it was a case that he's moving, surely we would have heard something by now. Agents love to talk. Agents love to spill things to the media. Why haven't we heard anything about a potential move if it is the case that he's going to be moved on? I honestly have no idea and it's one of those that I'm just searching here and there's no real news on it so obviously straight on AFC stuff on Twitter and um, just look for the latest news but it's one of those I really don't get it it's I can't see any logical reason that Gabrielle's not playing and like he played every preseason game, played in the community shield, and then he was dropped for the forest game. And the forest game, I understood because Timber was in the team, and it's like, all right, okay, we've got Timber here. We've got a very good ball player. We've got that real flexibility. But 
then when Timber did his ACL, I just expected Gabriel to come straight back in. But then Tomiyasu played left back, and again we saw Ben White at centre back. And it, what I don't get, I, I understand the unpredictable thing that Arteta is trying to do and become more difficult to prepare to play against, but I just don't get why we spent pre-season playing a certain way and then changed it for the first game of the season. So that's the bit that makes me think there's more going on here than we're being led to believe. And it's something that I'm really concerned about because I think Gabrielle's fantastic. Okay, and finally, we've arrived at this point of the show where it's time for... Good, bad, ugly. That's right, time for Good, Bad, Ugly, where we give one good moment, one bad moment, and one ugly moment from the game. So, Adam, when you're ready, give us your good moments of the game. Um, good. I'm going to go with Fabio Vieira's assist and then just turn in coldly, Cantona-style to the crowd. <laughs> okay, cool. Bad moment? Bad moment, the Fulham goal. First goal. Just mm. what a horrible way to start a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, I was actually trying to find myself a stream because, as you know, the game wasn't being televised. And I usually use a website called Peacock, you know, they, uh, the American um, version of the site where, you know, in America, they always play the games over there. But it wasn't even on the website. So I was thinking, okay... Um, so went on Twitter, went on the old EPL Kingdom and noticed that the, it was the page was buffering, but it was of Pereira standing in the corner flag. And I was thinking, surely not. We can't have conceded that early. Surely not. And then, yeah, I realized that we had conceded in the first minute. Not, not, not a great moment. Um, but what is your, if that's not your ugly moment, what is your ugly moment? <laughs> the second goal to really ruin a Saturday afternoon. So, um, so yeah, I was literally standing in the middle at the main stage at Leeds with the game on stream, waiting for Wet Leg to come on stage, and there I am, furious in a sea of happy people, and me just with this big angry head on me watching the game. So that was my ugly moment of the Saturday, and it took a good few hours for me to snap out of that mood and then try and enjoy myself. So. So yeah, what about you? I'm going to have to do it again and turn this back on its head. So what's your good moment? Yeah. Okay, well, I haven't prepared myself for this, um, which is annoying because I should, shouldn't I? Considering the last two times we've done it, you guys have asked me. My good moment would have to be... um, Yeah, I don't want to cop out, but Vieira, I think Vieira... Not necessarily the assist, but I think just his overall performance was very, very good. And it was encouraging to see that despite um, having a really difficult start at Arsenal, lack of game time, lack of impact, not having the physicality, he's starting to grow and he's starting to kind of find his own um, pathway, I guess you could call it. So that's my good moment. My bad moment would have to be um, the... Ben White header, which allowed Jimenez to have that crazy overhead, uh, over overhead kick goal. What could have been a second goal, what could have really blown us out, 
in that first half didn't happen um luckily fortunately but yeah again just i just think that was a really shoddy defending yeah. really shoddy header um ugly moment of the game it won't surprise you to hear that no no i'm not gonna say, i'm not gonna say habits um the ugly moment of the game was um seeing part a at right back for that opening first minute because that was where that was the i think the um the single reason or the biggest influ- influential factor that played into the first goal um had white been on that right hand side maybe you know he would have been in a better position to get the ball if not get if not receive the pass then at least be able to chase back um Pereira I think at that point Pereira was left at his own devices um so yeah that's my good bad ugly I'm hoping next week against United there will be a good 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 bad but we'll just have to wait and see um how confident yeah. are you just before we end it how confident are you going into that United game I mean United are really bad so it's a weird one yeah. Forest led 2-0 for a long time in that game at the weekend Matt Turner wasn't great. Mm. Um, they so Man United are not a good side, and I am have got some confidence because they're not good. But I don't have this like really strong sense that we're going to go and beat them just because. I think honestly, had we not have conceded that second, I would say yeah, we'll, we'll step it up a gear again next week and. Maybe just maybe the conceding that second goal was could be a good thing as the season goes on because it's a draw early in the season. We've we're only three games in, and it may teach them a lesson that says, right, stop switching off, be on it from the first minute. You need to get kill games before you start like messing around. It's just. It could be a blessing in disguise, but obviously any drop points in the title race, I just feel massive now. Two years ago, a draw at home like this, I don't think would have hit as hard. But when we're, we're now competing against City, and that's the standards that you have to abide to. So, how confident are you? Um, I feel fairly confident because of this draw. I think we'll come back stronger. Having said that, am I right in saying that the, yeah, the game is going to be played at the Emirates as well, which is yeah. good. It's an afternoon kickoff, which is good. Um, so yeah, United have been terrible, and I think that win will paper over many of the cracks in their in their system in their team. I think Eric Ten Hag is Eric Ten Hag is way over his head. Um. If we're able to play the starting lineup, which we're both hoping for, then I think we'll blow them out of the wall. But it very much depends on whether we see Zinchenko and Jesus and whether we see Gabriel. And actually, am I right in thinking the window closes? Or is it it on the Monday that it'll close? Window closes on Friday. Okay, so we'll have a very clear picture of who's here and who's not. And hopefully that will set the tone for the remainder of the season. 
Yeah, um, but it is that time of the show again where unfortunately we must say goodbye I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point thank you very very much if you did enjoy this episode please do give us a 5 star review on Apple Podcast and Spotify let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on Twitter you can find us over there at Arsenal Therapy you can also find Adam over there at Adam Keys underscore and you can find myself over there at Gunnarsense96. As always, we will be back next week to give you your usual weekly dose of Arsenal therapy. But if you can't wait until then, make sure to head over to the Arsenal Therapy YouTube channel for the 15-minute show where we'll be taking you through all the latest bits of Arsenal updates every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8.30am. And actually, this week, I think Adam's got something up his sleeves. I think we are going to be doing a daily show, um, seeing as it's the last week of the window, so make sure you tune in for that. Um, and make, make sure you also head over to the Arsenal Therapy website too for the blog posts where we will be breaking down our thoughts and feelings on this game, any incomings, outgoings, and much, much more. So until then, take care of yourselves. Have yourselves a very good week and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.